So, uh, has anyone ever had anything, any kind of challenge in your life? Like, anyone in here? I know this. Never had any problems. Pretty easy, right? Yes. Especially, last five minutes. Oh, ouch. Was that about me? I hope not. Okay, good. Oh. Um, yeah, I, how, you know, how about like, you know, just a, a time in your life when things started like being done to you. Like, I mean, you had no control over what was happening. Anybody kind of experienced some of that, right? And uh, the frustration of that, right? I mean, uh, for me, it was basketball when I was a kid. I know, it's all about sports. But anyway, we're there anyway. Uh, so it's uh, basketball as a kid. See, I, you know, people don't realize, you know, I'm... You know, thank the Lord, well, maybe, maybe not, this is all good, but uh, thank the Lord that, you know, you grow up someday, right, you know? <laughs> but as a kid, uh, I was pretty, you know, <sighs> the best word for it is wimpy, okay? I was a wimp of a kid, right? I, I just uh, was not very aggressive, not very kind of like, a little bit kind of quiet, a little bit, not quiet necessarily, I mean, I could verbalize, but like, was not, you know, physically aggressive or whatever. I was just, you know, kind of a sit in the background, like, you know, there was no me. I wasn't fighting on the, you know, the, you know, playground, right? That's not me, right? I didn't want to have, don't hurt me. I don't like pain, right? I mean, I tried out for wrestling, and it was like, oh, my gosh, it hurts so bad. It's like, why would anyone do this? This is just dumb. Ugh, so I was out of it. But, um, <laughs> but when it came to basketball, there was something different, right? I was like this crazy maniac on the basketball court. Like, uh, I got like, you know, e ejected from the game once because I just fouled somebody too hard, right? I'm like, dude, right? He's not bleeding. <sighs> but anyway, I mean, it was just basketball was different. And, and I really kind of blame this on my dad. And it's good to have somebody to blame stuff on, isn't it? <laughs> so I'm blaming this one on my dad. So when I was really little, we used to, you know, my dad, he was an athlete, so he was always trying to get me and my sister to play games and stuff. And so Nerf basketball was a big deal, right? I mean, we would play Nerf basketball in the house. You know, I'm six years old, five, six years old, and my sister's like seven. And it's my sister and I against my dad, right? And so he would get down on his knees, you know, and he'd play basketball with us. And we had this little Nerf poop on the on the, you know, the door, top of the door frame, right? It was awesome, right? Except for this, like, my dad, I mean, I look back now, I go, dude, this is so uncool, right? He was so competitive that, like, you know, he would snuff every one of my shots, right? You know, like, nope, not in my house, nope, not in my, I mean, he would not just, like, let us win, right? You would think, you know, as a dad, I'm five years old, you know, I'm like, come on, dad, you know, nope, smack, ah, oh, get that junk out of here, right? And so I think that maybe is where it started, right? I mean, <laughs> when I got into high school, this kind of gives you another image of this. When we got into high school, my dad and I would play one-on-one, -on -one, Nerf basketball in the basement, and he was not on his knees anymore. And boy, I tell you, we, we actually, one time, we were down there playing, and I don't, we, we get done, and we're like, you know, I don't remember who won, probably me. <laughs> Anyway, I don't remember who won, but we were sitting there, and we could like, you know, hey, that was fun. And we look over, and there's this, like, hole in the wall, the sheetrock. And we're like, oh. And my dad's like, Mom's going to kill us. We've got to hide it. And so we, like, she has this, like, sewing table. So we move the sewing table over right in front of it so you can't see it, right? We're like, no problem. We'll take care of this, you know. Now my mom, she knew where everything was. She came, why is my sewing table changed? That's, that wasn't there. And she moves it up. Ah, you know. Anyway, so, but this was... 
this was basketball, man. I, I don't know why. I mean, everything else in my life, it was pretty just kind of meek and mild, you know. Eh, but basketball, I was crazy. So freshman year in high school, uh, I'm like uh, starting point guard on, I guess I was a decent basketball player. Don't judge me because I'm short. Give me a break. Uh, anyway, so I was starting point guard on the freshman basketball team in my high school, right? Like, sweet, you know, and loving it. But again, I'm super aggressive, like so aggressive that, you know, I, you know, was struggling not to get fouled out. But also uh, I would, you know, I had opinions about my teammates play and I would make sure they understood what my, those opinions were, right? Uh, on the court, you know, so that everybody could hear, right? You know, and this kind of thing. And, and so uh, anyway, so halfway through the season, our head coach of our freshman team puts me on the bench. He says, you know what, Vandermark? I'm tired of your attitude. I'm tired of the way you're treating and playing basketball. He says, you're a good ball player, but you know what? You're sitting on the bench until you learn how to be a team player. Stop yelling at your players and, you know, get under control when you're on the basketball court. And I was like, at first, I was like, Wow, I mean, that was a big blow, right? What? And, and it wasn't like, you know, bench to, you know, like, or uh, starting to, like, bench and yeah, I still get to play quite a bit. No, it was, like, starting to you don't play at all, like, literally. I mean, I sat on the bench the whole game. Um, and so at first, like I said, I was like, okay, I can do this. That's all right. I mean, I, you know, I recognized, you know, maybe I was getting a little bit too crazy, you know, whatever. So I, you know, just like started in practice to really work on that and to try to get under control and not to be crazy and losing it, not yelling at people or whatever and not showing any kind of emotion on the court, right? And I worked really, really hard at it. And I got, you know, I don't know, maybe two days later. <laughs> I don't know how long it was, but it felt like I had, you know, a couple of weeks of this and I felt like I'd, you know, shown myself, proven it, right? But the coach never played me again the rest of the season. And I got so angry. I got so frustrated by that. I got bitter about that. I mean, this coach is a jerk. This coach is like, he probably shouldn't even be coaching. I mean, really, right? I mean, this is the kind of stuff that I started feeling. And basketball was my favorite sport. And that was the last year I played basketball. Because I wasn't coming back to that. I quit. You know, uh, Moses is one of my favorite characters of Scripture. And when I look at my life and my failures, I'm li it's nice to look at the Bible and go, oh, that guy's a screw-up too. Look at that. So uh, Moses does the same thing. And, and it's been an encouragement to me because Moses does the same thing. I mean, he's a young guy, like 40 years old, <laughs> and he sees that his people are getting, you know, uh, uh, just totally, you know, just oppressed by the Egyptians, Right? And he, and he sees this, and he's like, you know, you know I, we got to do something about it. This isn't right, right? And so he steps out, and he says, I'm going to save my people. I'm going to save the Israelites from these evil Egyptians. And he goes out, and he kills one of the guards, right? The next day, he comes back, and is like, now, the, now it was his families, you know, his, the Israelites are like, oh, dude, we'll watch out for you guy, right? And then he realizes, oh, man, everybody knows that I killed this guy, right? And he freaks out. And he runs into the desert, right? He flees. He's like, you know, this is the way it should be. His anger was so, so high, his, his bitterness against the Egyptians, that he kills this guy. And then, you know, when it all comes, comes out, he runs and flees for the desert. You know, when, when things come into our life, when, when things out of our control begin to take our control, how do we respond to that? 
What do we do in that moment of despair oftentimes? Where you're sitting there and you realize there's nothing I can do about this situation I'm in. I think most of us, we have this tendency to lash out. We get angry. We get frustrated. This shouldn't be this way. I should have some kind of control. And, and I want it to be done my, you know, I've got a better way. We can fix this. But look at Jesus. Interesting. You know, most people don't recognize this. And, and tell you the truth, when uh, I, I never really thought about this before preparing for this message, but Jesus in, chapter, in Luke chapter 22 experiences this same kind of despair. Other people are taking away his control. Other people's situations are happening to him that he can't fix. Well, actually he can, but. Notice this in, again, uh, chapter 22 of Luke, and I'm going to start reading in, in verse 39. And Jesus came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are, wi- if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now this is the night before he dies on the cross. Right? He, he, he knows what is coming. He recognizes that he's going to be losing control. He's, he's not going to be able to, to manage this. Now, now, he recognizes as well, okay, now this is a weird thing with Jesus, right? He's got this human side, but he's also got this divine side. Because this question that he's asking, you know, of the Father, I mean, he can do his, whatever he wants, Jesus can. He doesn't have to go to the cross. He can make the choice to say, you know what? No, I'm taking control. I'm not going to let them take my life. I'm not going to let them do what they want to me. I'm going to make the choice, you know, to, I'm, gonna, I'm going a different direction. But in the moment of despair, now listen to this, what goes on. Now this shows that there's some struggle going on with Jesus. It says in verse 40, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He recognized what he was about to walk into. He was in despair, in anxiety, and stress. He's like, oh, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do this. I just want to run. I want to go a different direction. I mean, maybe he even had this conversation with God. You know, God, you know, maybe we could, you know, can we just skip maybe the lashes, you know, that, you know, 39 lashes on the back. I'm just really not excited about that. That's going to be, can we just skip that piece, right? Or maybe he, you know, could have said, you know, how about, the, okay, I'll take the lashes, but, you know, the cross. Let's skip that piece. Maybe, you know, like while I'm walking to the cross part, you know, this action, you know, I can fall down and, you know, hit my head and just kind of like be gone, right? Just die, right? Right then. You know, I mean, is there some way, but no, right? Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm going to first cry out to God, my Father, recognizing that his control is going to be taking Father, help me. Is there any other way? But then your will be done. He 
cries out to his father, but then he also accepts that it's the father's will, not his. It's the father's way, not his way. This is the example that I think Jesus leaves us for how to deal with these moments in our life of despair. When we recognize that, oh my gosh, this, all the other people are, are, are impacting my life in a negative way. Other situations are happening. I mean, like, you know, sometimes it's health crisis, right? We get sick, and what do we do with this? I mean, we can't control it. How do I do this? We can get so angry. We can, we can lash out at it. We can become bitter. We can, you know, we go, no, I'm not going to do this, right? I, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to figure this out. Jesus gives us an example where he says, no, 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 we just need to step back and cry out and admit that we can't fix this on our own. And moreover, we need to give up control as well. To accept that we can't do it our way. You know, Moses, 40 years later, after he murdered the Egyptian and then fled into the desert, 40 years later, he has an opportunity to experience this kind of out-of-control situation again. He's standing on the shore of Red Sea. Israelites are all around him. They're, they're out of Egypt. They just, I mean, this is the dramatic, you know, departure from Egypt. But the Egyptian army is right there. All the Israelites, you know, like you know, a couple million of them, are all just freaking out. They're all like ticked off. Ah, not enough, uh, not enough, you know, graveyards in, in Egypt. You brought us out here to the desert to die. Thanks, thanks, Moses. You're a great guy, right? I mean, and so they're, they're, they're on him. And Moses says, like, what am I going to do? Right, I'm following Jesus, and now here I am. You know, we're at the shores of the Red Sea. We have nowhere to run. We've got the Egyptian army on the other side. We're done. What are we going to do? And these people are just coming to him, and they're mad at him. And what does he do? Does he get angry back? No, he cries out to God. God, uh, hello, uh, what are we supposed to do here? Does he, does he give God a bunch of, maybe he did, I don't know. Maybe he gave him some ideas. You know, hey God, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know, fire could kind of like come out of my eyes and just like melt all the Egyptians. Or I don't know, you know, that, that cool pillar of cloud you got there. Maybe you could just kind of like, you know, confuse them or whatever and just kind of like become a fog or what. I don't know, right? Did Moses do that? No, he eventually gives it up and he says, what do you want me to do? He gives up control. And then God says this crazy thing. Stretch out your staff over the Red Sea. What? Right? So Moses had a chance to kind of redeem himself. A second chance to be in that position of out of controlness and be able to respond the way that Jesus, of course, later in time of history would respond. I, too, had that same experience later in my life, about 25 years after my high school basketball experience. And I was in a church and in ministry, and there was a conflict that came up that threatened everything for me. Threatened my family, threatened my, you know, ministry and as a church, as a pastor, even long term. And I was freaking out because I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And in that moment of spare, I, I, I could have, you know, and, and there was anger in me. I was angry at the person and the situation. I was angry about it. I was frustrated by it. And I felt trapped and out of control. I'm like, ah, I don't want to do this. What is going on? And I wanted to lash out. I wanted to flee. I just said, you know, maybe I just need to walk away. But 
thankfully, I'd learned to, first of all, just cry out to Jesus. And so I did. I, I cried out to him, and I said, God, I, I don't get this. I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to fix it. You fix it. Now, granted, some of those relationships are still getting healed, but it was amazing what God did with that and how he did show up. Now to this thief on the cross, Luke chapter 23, verses 32 and following. Two others, now Jesus is on the cross. Last week we looked at his first words on the cross, Father, forgive them. And then just after that, these, this situation here. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, here's the Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments and the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of, Je of the Jews, save yourself. This was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do, not, do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, two thieves on a cross, both there in an out-of-control situation. They didn't want to be there. They hadn't chosen to be there. Now, certainly their behaviors had put them there, right? And sometimes that's the way life is, right? It's not just that other people do things to us or we have health crises that just happen to us. Sometimes those things come because of our own behaviors. You know, in basketball, right, I didn't get benched just because, you know, the coach was a bad guy. <laughs> you know, I got benched because of my own behaviors. And so this is a reality for the thieves, that they had lived a life of, of crime, and now they're paying for that life of crime. And so we have two thieves there in out-of-control situation, and we get both responses that we've seen so far this morning. The first by the thief that says, Come on, Jesus! Oh, y'all, this Savior and everything. Well, come on, save yourself and save me too. Come on. So he's angry, right? He's bitter. He's frustrated. He's like, what is this? And he, so he continues to rail against this out-of-control feeling that he has. But the other thief has the other response one that we saw Jesus model just a chapter before where he realizes he's out of control not happy about it but he surrenders and he cries out to Jesus Jesus I deserve what I'm getting but help me get me out of this situation help me and he gives up control he doesn't say you have to get me off the cross right I mean, maybe he thought that, right? Maybe he was thinking, yeah, oh, yeah, it would be really nice. Maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe do a miracle. It would be kind of, you know, I don't know, cool, right? We could, keep, you know, hang out together afterwards, get some coffee. It would be great. But he doesn't, he doesn't demand anything. It's just to cry out to Jesus and whatever you have, Lord, whatever you have. Simply 
His ask is to remember him. I know you noticed, but I stopped before giving Jesus his response and his second words on the cross. And the thief said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. (laughs) This is the amazing thing, is that Jesus offers hope. I mean, think about those words, right? He didn't say he's going to take him off the cross. Right? He didn't say he's going to fix everything. He didn't say, oh, don't worry, it's all going to be okay. Just offered hope. Today you'll be with me in paradise. I mean, can you imagine the thieves hanging on the cross the pain of what he's experiencing, but the shame of it, the despair, recognizing this is the end of his life, and he has lived his whole life in sin, rebelling against God, no hope for anything. I mean, he knows he's going to hell. This is going to be a bad end for him, not just now, but for all eternity. Yet somehow he gets hung next to Jesus the Savior of the world, he recognizes it in that moment, cries out to Jesus, and Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Imagine the hope that fills this man in that moment. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You see, Jesus can offer hope because, first of all, because of his death, he is able to save us. You see, he's offering that today we can be in paradise with him. This thief can be with him in paradise because Jesus knows that his death will not end his life, but that he will rise from the dead, and when he rises from the dead, this thief will rise with him. You see, Jesus can save us. He can give us hope because death is not the end. This is our hope, obviously, as Christians, right? This is nothing new for those who have been around the church for a while, been around Scripture for a while. But understand that it's all found in Jesus. But he's also able to, and has created a way for us to realize this hope. And the way is simply surrender. See, he can offer salvation because of his death. But he also has a way for salvation, that is surrender to him. That we would give up. That we would give up fighting. That we would give up trying to do it our way. That we would just trust him. We would just cry out to him and say, Jesus, I need you. This is the amazing truth of Scripture and of salvation, that we have hope for tomorrow. We have a tomorrow. This is not the end. No matter your circumstances at this moment in time, this is not the end. If you know Jesus, if you have cried out to Jesus, have surrendered your life to him, you have all of eternity to look forward to. You will be with him in paradise. Amen? Hallelujah. This is what it's all about. This is the good news. 
Some of us, some of us came to Jesus in despair. First time we came, it was a moment, perhaps maybe the darkest moment of our life. That, that hitting bottom. Maybe it's drug addiction or you know, other crazy addictions that we may have. Maybe just life was just horrible and ugly and you were in a place where you were out of control and you'd been fighting and fighting and fighting and then you just realized that there was just no more fight in you. You recognize that this fighting isn't working. And so you cried out to Jesus. And he saved you. He said to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. <laughs> awesome. But there's others of us in this room, and I am one of them, who didn't come to Jesus in despair. I was five years old. Now, I did live quite a life of sin and drugs, alcohol, womenizing. Right, you're five years old, right? I mean, what? It, it wasn't a despair thing for me. It was like, hey, that's good news. I want to be a part of that. And, and I think there's many of us in this room that are that way. We didn't come to Christ in the moment of despair. We came to Christ in the sense of like, you know, this makes sense. Or, yeah, I want that. That makes, yeah, I, I'm excited. You know, oh, yeah, I believe that there is a God and that, Jesus, that makes sense to me, that Jesus is... A lot of different reasons, but it may not have been in despair. And understand this, that, that doesn't, that doesn't I, I'm not asking anyone to question their salvation. I don't question mine. But what I, I, but I think we need to recognize is that there needs to be those moments in our life where we do find despair. And, and this is the curse of the wealth of our nation, is that we can be dependent on ourselves. We can fix our own problems. You know, if we, if we don't like our job, we'll get a different job. If we don't like our family, we'll get a different family. If we don't like where we live in, we can move to a different state. But, but I think we need to recognize the importance of despair in our life. You know, some of us will never experience despair until the end of our life when our health just finally catches up with us and maybe we get cancer or maybe we have some other medical crisis and we're then on basically our deathbed and we finally are in despair. And it's in that moment that most of us, praise the Lord, as Christians, we recognize, okay, we're out of control and we just cry out to Jesus and say, it's your way. But as all, I've also seen Christians who fought. Who fought in that moment. Angry. Frustrated. Mad at God. Continuing to be defiant. Um, Jesus, when he, when he came to the earth, Philippians chapter 2 talks about the fact that Jesus chose to humble himself and come in the form of a man. And more than that, to die a death on a cross. Jesus chose despair. A and I think he wants us to follow his footsteps in that. That we would recognize 
that despair is not something is just put on us. It certainly, I mean, that's normally how we experience it. Something that happens to us because of our own, you know, bad choices or because of other people and different things and circumstances of life. But we can also choose it. And I think this is what Jesus wants us to step into. He wants us to step into despair. And, and what do I mean by this? It comes from a perspective, a realization that we have nothing, that we are totally depraved, that our, we are so sinful that there is nothing we can do on our own. Isaiah 64, I think it is. Anyway, I, it's in my notes. Isaiah 64, 6, right? All of our righteous deeds are as filthy rags to Jesus, right? To God, right? It doesn't matter what we do. The only way we can do anything righteous is through him. You know, we so often take credit for all of our good deeds. We so often think, I can do this. Or, oh, wow, look what I've done. Look at these amazing talents. Look at these amazing career that I have. Look at all this money I've made. Look at all these, you know, friends I have. Look at all this influence I have. We take all that, I, me, 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 I, 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 I. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 we need to understand the life of despair where we recognize that the only reason we can have any success, the only reason we have done anything that's good or of any kind of worth is because of Jesus, not because of me. Because all of our gifts are given to us from God. All of our talents are given to us from God. Every time we are successful, it is because of him doing something in and through us. His amazing grace, not my amazing greatness. We need to understand that we as Christians are called to live a life of despair. Constantly saying, Jesus, I can't do this. I need you. Constantly recognizing when he moves and when he works, we give him the praise. Thank you, Jesus. I can't believe what you did, that we would be able to stand and go, wow, what are you doing in my life and through me? Wow, I can't even imagine that that is even possible. We as Christians, no matter if we've come to Jesus in despair or not, need to learn to walk the life of despair that Jesus walked. The reality is, reality is, even if we've experienced despair and cried out to him, it's not a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. And we may, some point down the road, again, put up a fight and try to say, no, no, it's my will that needs to be done. But Jesus continues to call us back. Consider Moses again. So he has, starts off this rough way, and then he has this great middle ground, Right? Where he's, I mean, some of the stuff that Moses is a part of, I mean, yeah, just throw a branch in that water, it'll be fine, don't worry about it. You know, I mean, I, snakes, you know, that are, by, oh, just put a bronze, you know, snake thing, in the, just look at the snake, you'll be good, don't worry about it. You know, I mean, this is crazy. Um, every morning, just get up, go out, there's some bread on the ground, just pick it up, no big deal, man, just eat it, it's good, man, really, trust me, it's good. You know, I mean, water out of a rock, I mean, come on, seriously? Yeah, just go hit the rock, Moses. It'll be good. All right, guys, just hang out. I just got this right here, no problem. Yeah, turn on the water of life right here for you. Right, but at the end of his life, what does he do, right? He doesn't make it into the promised land. Because again, he's faced with this Israelite people, right? And they're all up in arms again. Right? I mean, how many times have they been doing this? For 40 years almost, they've been walking through the desert. He keeps providing stuff for them. He keeps on doing, I mean, all these miracles that they've seen, all these amazing, I mean, every day there's bread out there. I mean, come on, right? How could you forget that God's pretty cool and he can do stuff, right? And then, 
they, but they're coming to him again, and like, Moses, we're so thirsty. Would you get us some water? We're so mad at you. You're so horrible leader. Why are we out here? We're all going to die. And so Moses now is frustrated again. Again, he's put in a situation where he's out of control. He, uh, God led him there, not him. And now these people are all complaining to him as a leader. Why aren't you, you know, providing for us? What is your problem? And so he's frustrated. And he cries out to God, but then he chooses his way. As God tells him, this time, Moses, I want you to speak to the rock. Oh, I know you've hit the, hit the rock before, but just speak to the rock this time. And Moses, in his frustration, stands up and says, you guys, basically says, you guys are horrible. I hate y'all. <laughs> Doesn't say that I hate y'all, but anyway. Uh, it's just my, that's my expansion, my amplified version. Anyway, uh, and he hits the rock with his staff. And the first time, nothing comes out. And then the second time, oh, there it is. God's gracious in that, but, right? I mean, at the end, he, he, he falls into that pattern of anger and despair and frustration in the midst of despair. And instead of crying out and surrendering, he does his own thing. I'm constantly tempted with this in my life. And I'm sure many of you are as well. To take credit for stuff, right? You need... You, yeah, you come into a church, right, and you're the pastor, and you know, some new family starts showing up, right? And, oh, you get all excited, right? Oh, oh, man, they like me, they like me, right? No! They like Jesus. And, and we have to, re- it, so often we, we give credit to Jesus, but it's just with our lips. But understand, we need to give credit to Jesus with our lips. But, Lord, may you drive that into our hearts, so that we believe that is true. Because the temptation for all of us is to take the credit for the good things that are going on in our life. Instead of just going, what? This is amazing. Right? (laughs) All right. (laughs) I want to... uh, uh, William Barclay, if you know him, great. If you don't, um, anyway, he's a, he's a commentary writer, commentarian, and he's written a commentary on uh, all of the books of the least the New Testament. And um, in his commentary on this passage that in Luke 23, I love what he writes about paradise, and I want to read that to you, and then just kind of drive our point home this morning. So, actually, China, if you want to come up, you can. I'll be done here. William Barclay writes, The word paradise is a Persian word meaning a walled garden. When a Persian king wished to do one of his subjects a very special honor, he made him a companion of the garden, which meant he was chosen to walk in the garden with the king. It was more than immortality that Jesus promised the penitent thief. He promised him the honored place of a companion of the garden in the courts of heaven. The imagery is clear. When we cry out to Jesus, when we surrender our ways to his way, 
when we give him all the credit. He says these words, Today you will be with me in paradise. But understand that's not just some future hope. It's also a hope for today that he is going to walk with us in the garden of this life at this moment. The spiritual realm and perspective that we need to understand. We see just the concrete. We see just the physical stuff around us. But there is a spiritual realm that is a beautiful and amazing garden. And Jesus is walking with each one of us through that. And every time we surrender to him and raise up our voices, we need you, Jesus. He says to us again, don't worry about it. Today you will be with me in paradise as he walks with us through this amazing garden. This is the good news of the gospel. Amen? Oh, it's so good. Let's stand and let's continue in worship.